Edward Welch's groundbreaking book, When People Are Big and God is Small, has sold more than a quarter million copies since it was first released and has helped countless people in their struggles with codependency, peer pressure, and fear of man. This spring, PNR Publishing is pleased to announce the release of a comprehensively revised new edition. Learn how to need people less and love people more in this important update to a classic work of biblical counseling, available wherever books are sold. Anchored Hope provides practical help to those hurting by anchoring their hope in Jesus and helping others gain a better understanding of His promises. We offer reputable biblical counsel to those suffering or experiencing difficult seasons. Our counselors are highly trained and bring a vast experience in addressing the various issues of life. To meet with a counselor, visit anchoredhope.co to find a counselor that fits your needs and schedule an appointment today. On this episode of This Versus That, we have Dr. Ed Welch. Ed is a faculty member and counselor at the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. He has a PhD, he has a Master's of Divinity, but he's also a licensed psychologist. If you know anything about Ed, you know that he's written numerous books inside the biblical counseling world, but this week they re-release When People Are Big and God Is Small. I am excited to reread that book, but I'm also excited to share this conversation with you. Hope you enjoy it. Ted Welsh, we are super thankful to have you here with us today. You've been a massive influence on both of us and on, I think, virtually all of our counselors. And so thank you for just taking the time to meet with us today. And we want to kind of think together about this issue of discipleship versus counseling. Should there even be a versus when we mention those two together? And I wanted to begin by just asking if we were to envision this as concentric circles. Where is the overlap? Where are those circles of discipleship and counseling overlapping with one another and one and the same? And where are they distinct from one another where you say this is counseling, but not discipleship or this is discipleship and counseling? Can I do something a bit cheeky to start off and ask why you decided on this particular topic? What created the interest there? That's probably in part, that's curiosity. It's probably almost purely curiosity. Some of it is to think of how to talk about it together. But what raised the topic? Rebecca might have a different answer than mine. For me, <laughs> it's, it comes right out of conversations that we have with counselees, with counselor candidates. We often have the conversation with people who say, well, discipleship and counseling are really just one and the same. If counseling is just a focused version of discipleship. And then we also have the conversation with people who say, really, unless you're a licensed professional counselor, you shouldn't be talking to anyone about their problems. And both of those expressions seem to maybe oversimplify the issue. Mm. And I think there is legitimate overlap, and we'd love to hear yeah. your thoughts on yeah. where there's overlap, but also what can we say in terms of what's distinct So it's like to strike some middle ground. If I am not on that middle ground, you just push me around and get me to the middle ground. I'm happy to go there because I think I would agree with you. I, there is a middle ground here. I think the similarities, they're, they're a lot easier to identify. We aim for the second half of the Great Commission to, as people have been drawn to Christ, for people to, to grow in Christ. Our goal is the same as the Apostle Paul. How do we bring Christ and him crucified to the details of every single day life? So the similarities are, they should be clear. I would say the prominent difference is the beginning question or the beginning request. With discipleship, it's, I'd like to grow. I want to grow in Christ. With counseling, Something is really hard, not able to manage my life myself. I need help. And that I think makes, creates a very different trajectory. And one of them is that in counseling, in contrast to discipleship, you will most likely invest more time in knowing the person. In discipleship, it's let's go to scripture and get into scripture and see how scripture speaks to us, see how we can take theology and, and apply it. With counseling, we want to have that movement back and forth. We want to know that person. We want to know that person in such a way they feel known. And from knowing the person, we have that question, okay, now what does the Lord say? And there's that back and forth between those two issues in counseling, knowing the person. Okay, now that we have some idea of the questions and the concerns we want to bring to the Lord, how does he speak to us? I would say that's probably the most prominent one. 
Your thoughts on that? How would you stake out that middle? Yeah, it's interesting the way you describe that actually, like just a very practical way that I could think about how that's played out. As a pastor for years, like having discipleship meetings, we would often start with, what are we going to do? What are we going to read together? What book of the Bible? What, you know, other book are we going to read? And whereas counseling always starts with an intake where we're simply asking a lot of questions, help me know you, help me know your circumstances. And so even the beginning point, I think, fleshes out that difference that you were describing. Yeah. Now there will be times in counseling where I will say, okay, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to get into this scripture and we're going to, we're going to talk about it. We're going to pray through it. So that's, that would look very much like discipleship, but that would only come when I've known the person well, and together we are persuaded this is exactly what their struggles are calling for moving into this passage. Otherwise, the probably the most prominent way that I begin counseling is what is most important? What is most important? I start with the person and then wherever that person is, I'm willing to go wherever they want to go because I know whatever path they choose, we're going to be able to get to Christ from that particular path. So what is most important? That's the opportunity we have in what we call counseling. I think a lot of this has derived from the conversation of when do I need counseling? So I have an issue. A lot of issues in our culture are very normalized, whether it's anxiety or marriage conflict or whatever the topic or the issue might be. And a lot of the questions I get are, when do I know that it's not just discipleship that I need, that the transformation into Christ likeness? But when is it that I need specific help on this specific issue? When do I know that it needs to translate into counseling instead of discipleship? Yeah. We tend to think in spectrums more than either or a lot of times. And the spectrum would be, when do we need help? And the answer is, we are in trouble if we don't need help every single day. Always. <laughs> we always uh, need help. That's right. That's, that is fundamental to life in Christ, that, that day after day, we need Jesus. We need Jesus in all kinds of ways. If we begin our days that way, it's going to be natural for us to ask for help from other people. Sometimes it's, I'm struggling with this. Sometimes it's, will you pray for me with this? So, so that's the sort of the spectrum that you're identifying, that Help is ordinary and necessary in life in Christ. The question I think is when we've asked for help and we've asked for prayer and whatever it is that is, that is nagging us or, or, or oppressing us, it just persists and it's intruding into everyday life and it keeps going. Well, the normal thing there is I need more help. Yeah. And what do we do? We enlarge the sphere of people who help. And the benefit I find of counseling is sometimes there's expertise, but I think the prominent benefit is there's time. How often in the course of everyday life do we have an hour or 45 minutes or 15 minutes where we can really focus on something that is very important to us? That is, some people have never had that opportunity. And when they have the opportunity, sometimes they're surprised how helpful it can be because we're just a little bit more focused than we have before, hopefully with somebody who, who can draw us out and help us identify, here's the issue. And now where do we go now? What does scripture have to say? I'll, I'll stop there. No, that's great. I think we spend so much of our time too at Angered Hope talking to pastors and trying to help pastors discern how to, how to even suggest to someone, maybe depending on the culture of the church, Counseling is either normalized or not, or they're going to be looked at a funny way if they walk into a counseling office versus a culture. And I think the younger generation is what we're finding is they have a mental health language built in. Uh, mm-hmm. And whether or not it's coming from TikTok, who knows? But is it TikTok? That's what it's called, right? You like get the record. Whatever the kids are doing on the apps these days. But they haven't. You recognize I'm not responding. To I'm, I'm assuming <laughs> well, it's a rhetorical question. You're the youngest one here, Rebecca. Yeah, I know those things better than us. I will claim to be the one. Yeah, I am the youngest one here. Let's go ahead and put that on public. For that at be the younger generation has this developed language. And so they're constantly speaking in a mental health kind of language, whereas there's a different generation. And as we travel and go to different conferences, I see a different culture from whatever church it is. And so as we're speaking with pastors and trying to help pastors discern, okay, I can disciple 
you know, these many people, but then it gets to a point where they need help that I don't, I I don't know what to do with. How do you help the pastor who's trying to steer someone in a discipleship relationship towards a more specialized counseling relationship? I'll throw out a couple of thoughts. I think you just identified them that, that there's strengths and weaknesses in each generation, each generation or two has its own culture. And I think you're identifying nicely, at least one of the strengths of this generation. They talk about stuff. They talk about things that are hard yeah. and to find help for that. in another person is fairly ordinary. So what pastors are encountering is there are still people in their church, my generation, even below my generation, where it's, there's something not right about being needy. Well, I think the first thing is for pastors to be thinking that neediness is normal and neediness, when we're aware of our neediness, it is a very good thing. That doesn't mean it's not a hard thing, but it's a very good thing. So for pastors to be able to communicate that consistently through the public ministry of the word, it's ordinary for us to need help. In fact, if we go to the New Testament in particular, the New Testament, if you don't feel like you need a physician, then the gospel is not going to be very meaningful to you. So pastors can communicate that in their public ministry and in their own hearts. They can think with a certain kind of enthusiasm uh, to be able to consider the struggles you have with another person. And I know this other person and they're going to care and they're going to walk with you really well. To be able to do that is is a privilege and it's just a wonderful opportunity. You're going to love it. It's going to be really helpful for you. For pastors to at least be thinking that way, rather than thinking somewhat apologetically, as if they're saying, I think you are really having harder times than anybody else I've ever met before, and you really need help. Obviously, pastors wouldn't be saying that, but they're concerned about communicating that. So that would be the first things I would think, that you want a culture where It's natural to speak about our needs. It's natural to reach out for help and for pastors to also see that more, more time given to those struggles is, is a fine thing that happens in the body of Christ and to be able to, in a sense, enjoy it. Ed, you mentioned the kind of thinking about these things as a spectrum, right? And. I think one of the generational differences is there's a, there can be a chasm that's seen rather than a spectrum. We hear this with pastors sometimes who are overly suspicious of any kind of therapeutic language or any, anything that would suggest that some kind of mental health focus needs to be given here. And then we see it on the other side where it's just like, you know, anyone who's not specialized in this area can't, can't help another person. One of the things I remember most, so I took problems and procedures with you. And I think one of the things that stood out to me most was you kept saying throughout that class, whatever the issue was that we were dealing with, you were more like this person than unlike. So go in each direction. Like, how do you help the, maybe the overly suspicious pastor or just maybe older person who's struggling in that area? And how do you help the person, the other end, who's so tied to mental health categories that they can't see the organic connection to the life of the body of Christ. Yeah. I might be taking your question, Brian, in a slightly different direction. So just pull me back in if it's necessary. I think pastors can have different perspectives on these things, depending on their own experience. If they have witnessed sort of egregious care for people who are suffering in their church, perhaps well-intended, but the superficial advice to, to somebody who's struggling with something profound, minimizing the person's struggle. Every single person who's gone through some sort of enduring struggle has experienced foolish comments in the context of the church. So if you've witnessed those things, and it's in all of us have witnessed those things, what we'd be thinking is the person needs to go to a professional and the lay person in the church shouldn't touch the person. But at the same time, there is this persistent literature that is quiet in, within the world of counseling. But it goes back even, I think, even to the 50s, the late 50s, 1950s. And it goes something like this. The best helper is someone, is a friend who loves you really well. That's the best helper, which means the friend is bringing a certain humility. We're in this together. I know something of what you're struggling with because I'm a human being. But that doesn't mean I understand it completely and I want to know you. A friend 
wants to know the person better. And when they know the person better, they're going to be moved with compassion and they're going to be, they're going to walk wisely with the person. That's, that, that is the gold standard for pastoral care, a wise and loving friend. And in many ways, that's what we hope for. A counselor will do no harm in a sense, which in harm can certainly happen in the context of a church. They know things, what, they know what not to say. And in that sense, they, they're a real asset. So that's a long way of saying it. we bring our own personal experiences to our biases. If we react against mental health language, we probably have some person who somehow moved into not only mental health categories, but a way of thinking about their lives that, that didn't seem to have anything to do with Jesus. You have an experience like that, and you're going to be a little suspicious of mental health categories. So if, to go back to the beginning of our conversation, what is this wise middle that, that focuses on those things that are especially important? And, and typically, the person's language is not going to be that important. The person's language is their way of trying to understand what's happening in their lives now. And then what do we do? Together, we, we walk on this course of wisdom. And wisdom is Christ. We walk with Christ and toward Christ and on Christ. That's whatever language we use, that's our course. Is that getting to what you're asking, Brian, or do you want to ask it a different way? No, I think that, that's super helpful. I'm trying to think of the practical scenario that we could unpack. So say you have a pastor who's meeting with someone for discipleship, right? They're meeting every Thursday morning over coffee or breakfast, and they're talking through things. And in the course of getting to know one another, finds out this guy's struggling with some pretty deep depression. The pastor gets to the place of saying, I think he should probably talk to someone who's a little more skilled in this than I am. What would you encourage that pastor in terms of his ongoing role in that man's life? As a counselor, sometimes I will review sort of the last couple of years of people that I've known and seen and try to get a sense, what do I learn from that? And what are the times that went fairly well and what were the times that didn't? I would say one of the constants is, were there people or was there a person and the person I would see, was there another person in their lives who cared for them, who prayed for them, who was a presence, a wise presence? Was there another person like that? If there was, it almost inevitably, the times seemed to go well. That means the person seemed to be growing in grace and was blessed by certain changes in their life. If there was, if I am the primary pastor for the person and nobody else seems to be involved, it feels, it feels like, it feels like we're in mud. It just, it feels like we're, we're, you know, it's three steps forward, three steps back. So that's, what do I, what am I suggesting? I'm suggesting that if the parent, if the pastor doesn't feel like he quite has the skills or the time or both with this particular person, I would think the best thing he could do would continue to have coffee with him once a week or whenever, whatever his pattern was and continue to know the person and perhaps this, to really invite him to speak openly from his heart. When they're talking about scripture together, the scripture feels dead to him. Talk about it, to not try to please the pastor. Well, pastor, thank you so much. This was so helpful. We in the body of Christ, we prize openness and we turn away from masks that try to put on a decent appearance before others. So if I was a pastor, I would probably make it a point. I don't think I knew, I would say, I don't think I knew how hard life has been for you. And I am so grateful that you've been able to express that. And whenever we get together, I'm going to continue to invite you, which I think is the same thing the Psalms do to our hearts. I'm going to invite you to speak of the troubles of your soul and, and let us pray together and let's see if we can find ways into scripture where we know God himself understands those particular troubles. I would like the pastor to continue doing the same thing he was doing. It's good. Yeah. As you're talking about that, I'm thinking about, we have a really wide variety of people who come to Anchored Hope for counseling. 
Some of them are in a healthy community and a healthy church, and we have a relationship with their pastor and an ongoing Anchored Hope partnership with that church. We know them. We love them. They have my cell phone. They're calling me, asking me about different issues. And then we have another person coming who found us on the internet and Googled Christian counseling, and they found us, and here we are. And they don't have any context for maybe who we are as people. I love both of those scenarios because it's different people getting help wherever they are. And I think in the midst of that, you're getting two different kinds of people coming to counseling. Well, you're getting a lot of different kinds of people coming to counseling, but there are two specific categories I want to pull out. One of those is the notion that everybody should be receiving counseling all the time. And I think that it kind of stems a little bit maybe from the talk therapy world of you can always have something to talk about. It's always good to talk about this. And so there's this talk therapy minus transformation, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, then there's a sense of, I have this one particular issue. And when this particular issue is over and fixed, then I don't need counseling anymore. So I'm just, I'm not sure what my question is so much as I think we see both of those kinds of people coming to Anchored Hope. How would you encourage both of those people, maybe not necessarily in a different direction, to, but to reform how they're thinking about counseling? Question. Well, Beck, I'm pausing because I don't feel very qualified, in a sense, to answer it. I tend to function in two different ways, where there, there are people who will come to me as a kind of consultant, where they'll come for a few times and to try to get the lead land and say, okay, here, it seems like this is the direction that you're right. hoping to go. But the other people I see, I tend to have longer term relationships with them. And they're more pastoral. And there are times where a lot of them are members of my church, which is part of that longer term relationship. So if I could, so that's all to say, I, I would like to help those two different groups a little bit better, but I do know that I am not as skilled as at saying things like, do you see what you're doing? Do you see what's happening in our time? Where I, what, what I am doing so often is I say that is amazing. That's genius. I mean, sometimes I'll say something. That's brilliant if I want to go sort of British on them. And what I'm trying to say is, do you hear what you're saying? This is stuff that is beautiful. It is, you don't even recognize it, but it's spiritual. It's the work of the spirit in you. And you see how you're growing. Now, given that, how can, how can you continue to be dependent on Jesus, but get the word out, go out there and be helper for the souls of other people. Even something like that, I'd probably do that a little bit more, but then to think more structurally about the person's life. Perhaps we should meet once every three weeks or once, once every four weeks, because this is the trajectory that you are so clearly on. And now what would be, what would be a wise structure for your life? Because I've been your structure in the past. What would be even a better structure? I love those kinds of questions. I don't ask them enough. I guess the follow-up to that would be, I'm thinking about the person who maybe isn't in a healthy community and doesn't have a natural discipleship relationship. Do you think that counseling can replace that discipleship relationship for them in the context that we are in a very specific context? I'm aware of that, which is different because we are a virtual ministry and we have counselors all over the world and people from all over the world receiving counsel from us, which I think is lovely. I love it. It's exciting and it's fun because we're able to help people and we're making it accessible where typically in a lot of times it hasn't been. So I think of the pastor who I spoke to last week, he's in the middle of, he's in the Midwest somewhere. I don't even know if I'll that, but he said, we can't get anywhere within an hour and a half. And I also need bilingual counselors. And so they set up a TV at the church and they've created a counseling office and they're using Anchored Hope counselors to care for their people. I love it because it's making it accessible to them and caring for them in a way that they couldn't otherwise. That's a very specific context, but the context coming, the other side to this is the people who maybe are not receiving that discipleship at church. Do you think it's okay for them to pursue a counseling relationship and live that discipleship relationship, which is, I think, sometimes what we see happening? Yeah. Do I think they feel like help is needed in their life and they're not finding it around them and they don't know where to go around them? 
find somebody else who yeah. can help them. Certainly, I think that's, I think that's prudent. That's wise. I think, Becca, what you're going after though, is it sustainable? You're saying that, I think what you're identifying is the counselor is responsible to keep a question before both of you. Where is your community? Where is the one person who loves you? And you, where is that one person who you love? And you are knowing them and they are knowing you. And the two of you are, are growing together in loving each other. And the two of you are praying for each other. And from that small little tiny unit, you're moving outward and, and you're praying for other people. You know, at least I think a counselor would be responsible to be asking those kinds of questions because we recognize that we are blessed to be central in a person's community is such a great gift to us, but we recognize that it's not going to be their enduring community, their everyday community. Yeah. And nor should it be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We've adopted the phrase, do the most good we can for the glory of God, <laughs> given the circumstances of each counselee. And that's, it is hard when you have the counselee who we believe really would benefit from healthy community, being in a church where they're hearing the gospel, they're surrounded by brothers and sisters who love them and seeing for whatever reason, there's, there's a resistance to that. And then we're left with the question, what do we do in that space? What role are we supposed to play? We're, we might be the only gospel voice in their lives. And yet we don't want to create this over-dependent relationship where they're seeing that as replacing the church. But we are also thinking that if the spirit has brought this person to us, part of the spirit's agenda is to put this person in a community and we are perhaps the tip of the spear on it. And so what, you're, what both of you are saying is very helpful for my own soul and my own care for people. If the spirit is creating this little tiny community in counseling, how can I be asking more persistently? Has any, have you noticed anybody who the spirit has used to encourage your heart this week? Is there anybody who's taken a bit of different interest than you would have anticipated? You see, that's the work of the spirit. Here's what you can do. You can go back and here's a way you could ask that person for prayer or even the alternative, which would be, here's our plan. You are in this community right now, but it feels like people are living separately in isolated ways. You have a vision for a different kind of relationship. Let's start praying that you would be a person who takes the initiative toward others. And there, when you go to a church, when you go to your church, that one of your goals would be on a Sunday morning, you want to know one person a little bit better than you do right now. Yes. And you can pray for them. You know, those are some of the things that, that you're getting at, which sometimes as a counselor, I can think too privately about it. It's okay. We're in this together and we're going to work on this particular issue. And I, sometimes I don't work diligently enough to consider with the person. Here's your community. Here's ways we can make community. Here's we can, ways we can take advantage of the community that God has given you. And it's more than you anticipated. So I really appreciate the two of you raising this. Yeah. I mean, it's the space that Anchored Hope has really created and the secular counseling world has already created it. And in a lot of ways, we're trying to redeem and create a space for gospel loving believers to get help, but also redeem the internet and use this technology that has been created for the glory of God. And so it very much is we are learning as we go here. I hear stories about counseling being monetized through other tech companies all the time, and they're looking for Christian counseling or biblical counseling, and they go to one of those companies and realize that's not what I'm getting at all. Yeah. And so this is a conversation that we're having all the time because I think this is the new world that we're living in, and we're either <laughs> going to figure out how to get on behalf of the body of Christ or we're not. And so I think that's really where this conversation is stemming from for us. So that another practical kind of question that we've wrestled with as we try to think, you know, because we are a virtual ministry, we are not able to be that embodied presence for people. We really want them to have that. We want them to have both a pastor involved in their care and an advocate, just a, a faithful friend who loves them, who shows up at the doctor's office, who brings the meal. And we've actually 
invited some of those advocates into the counseling process. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. When I was a pastor, I was invited in by a counselor, someone I was walking with in my congregation. It was incredibly helpful for me as a pastor to care for that individual. And so now as a counselor, I'm seeing the benefit that is for people as they're coming in and saying, oh, this is what you guys are talking about in counseling. And here's how I can support that. It seems like there's like that, that's a very overly professionalized view of counseling would really push back against that. You know, it seems like it's a kind of a space that should be sectioned off for just the counselor and the counselee. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on what are the benefits? What are, are there potential drawbacks or dangers to inviting the advocate into the counseling space? I, Brian, is it two of you are talking about these things? I can tell you my, what I'm thinking. I'm just admiring this and enjoying it. The two of you are saying is beautiful and it's beautiful as we know something about the body of Christ and how the Lord uses a community in a person's life. I would also suggest that it's attractive outside of the body of Christ, because if there's anything that has come out of COVID, it is all these books and articles. We need people that we need yeah. people in our lives <laughs> and the privacy of counseling. It can work against that. It's here's the only person I can speak to. I don't think, I don't think the community outside the church is saying those kinds of things. They've always respected the usefulness of group therapies, which is you have all kinds of other voices. So I think this is admirable, no matter where you stand. I, it's beautiful. I love that structure to, to introduce quickly. If there can be somebody else who comes, my experience is that pastors are sometimes pretty busy and to do that regularly would almost be impossible. But if there can be somebody you know who loves you and and you would be interested in participating, they could come once, they could come twice, they could come every single time. That's just, that's a thing of utter beauty. Mm-hmm. And it can only be, in, in the time I've done that as a counselor, it has only been, it, it's only been wonderful for the person. Mm-hmm. We would think that a person, if they're going to be talking, especially about things that are shameful, to add another person in the room complicates their shame a little bit. We would think that, but that's not the case. For the right person who truly loves them in the room, it, it diminishes their shame as they say pe- see people. They see people like me who, who respond, who don't turn away from them. But I'm a counselor and I do this for a living. And so they can say, well, that's you who's doing it. But to see a friend who comes with them, who turns toward them even more as they've experienced the openness of that friend. What a great gift. So I just in, in utter admiration for the structure that you're zealous to bring to your counseling. Yeah, we would be wrong not to mention that we have created an advocate curriculum that's available to pastors. So if they are listening to this and they are looking at Anchored Hope to partner with, we've created a system for them to actually take and teach advocates in their body so that they can identify those who are naturally already walking along people who are hurting and help kind of create a system for them to lift the burden. I think about those partnerships as coming alongside and getting underneath the yoke with them so that they can function better and maybe even more meaning. I think a lot of people see it as if I partner with a counseling organization, they can take away the meaning of what I'm doing. But really and truly, we're trying to lift the burden so that they can walk out more meaningful, not less meaningful. So. Uh, it's a privilege to get to do it. It's a lot of fun because there's nothing better than God where can do what he does, right? And to do that for pastors and mm-hmm. relieve the burden of some of that ministry, it's just awesome. Our, our goal in doing that is, is to serve the person who's coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is inevitable that the advocate who comes is going to affect the culture of the church. That, that he or she is attending, where that advocate is going to care for other people differently. And somehow in that caring for other people, there's something contagious about that. When you've been cared for well, you have a tendency to engage with other people who need care differently. So you're really blessing the church with that. I haven't even really thought about that, but that you're teaching the counselor, well, I have thought about the, te- the counselor teaching the advocate, but in terms of creating a culture inside the church of care, that is a, that's a great thing. So hopefully we are doing that. <laughs> For sure. 
that's something you've said a few times as we've been talking leads me to a question that might feel slightly off topic, but I think it's, it relates to all of this. When you were talking about just highlighting and someone is saying something that is truly amazing in terms of insight, self-awareness, or just being able to connect scripture to life, you know, that's something that I've seen in counseling when I do that. There are two things happening. One is I'm, I immediately are reminded, I don't do that often enough. And two, the person acts like they haven't heard that for a really long time. And it kind of has led me to this question of, do we have a, just a massive encouragement deficit in the church? And, and I would say it's probably almost certainly true in the world, but even as we think about biblical counseling, you know, your colleague at CCF, Mike Emlett, his saint suffer center paradigm, I think is really helpful. I've realized like the saint lens is something that probably more diminished in the counseling that, especially if I look back maybe 10 years ago that I was doing, it was much more seeing people through the sinner and sufferer lens. And so I just, again, I'm sure I know what the question is in that, but if you would just kind of speak to like, what role does encouragement play in counseling and what role does encouragement play in the life of the church? And are there ways we can close that deficit? I don't know if there's a deficit in encouragement. I suspect there is a deficit in people knowing each other well. It does just seems like people are busier. There's, mm-hmm. there's, they're just, they're on the move more. And the idea of, well, you, you used this illustration before with the pastor, the idea of sitting down for coffee, to use that as a, as a metaphor, that's, that's just simply doesn't, there, there aren't many venues where that happens. So I, I think it's a, perhaps a knowing deficit to, and knowing means that you have the time and you have the interest to know another person. So certainly we might experience a deficit in that. And curiously, social media and being on screens works against that more than for it. So I think there is a deficit indeed, but people can be encouraging when they have opportunity, when they see things that are good. You are identifying, I think, a priority in the body of Christ. When we look at the Apostle Paul, he speaks inevitably, perhaps not quite as much with 1 Corinthians, but typically he begins his letters, this is what I have seen in you. And not only have I seen it, but the whole world sees it. (laughs) Everywhere I go, people are talking about you. This is the way he begins almost every single letter. And natural, we, we live in this age of the spirit. And if we were talking to somebody who has a profession of faith, but frankly, even if we're talking to a person who doesn't have a profession of faith, the fact that they are asking for help that is really good. I mean, we are, we talk about admiring, we admire such a thing. So I think, I think as counselors, since we have opportunities to know someone a little bit better, we have the privilege of, of being able to say, oh, well, not just to see the good person, but the way we would see the good is to sort of ask the question, how has that person blessed me? How have I seen things that are good and admirable and beautiful in them? And then we have the opportunity to say, by the way, last time we were together, you said this and you said this, and I was utterly astonished. I was blown away and it is stuck with me all week. That's, you know, that kind of encouragement, it's a little bit hard to sort of cast it aside. Most people do, aren't accustomed to hearing the encouragement and so try to toss it off because they feel uncomfortable. But that kind of in specific encouragement, this is what you've done in my life. Is it any surprise that? Those are we're not trying to quote counsel the person when we do that. We're not trying to have this insightful help necessarily. We're just trying to be normal people. And is it any surprise that sort of in those ordinary times where we are blessed by the other person and see the good in another person, that that the spirit tends to he tends to use it most dramatically in another person. That's that tends to be my experience. It's when I ask people, you know, what's been helpful, what hasn't been helpful. I'm always thinking, I'm always waiting for people to say, you know, Ed, that you had an insight that was just so utterly penetrating. It just opened everything up for me. I would like them to say that, frankly. And then maybe occasionally they do, but it's inevitably those smaller things, the personal responses where I've seen good in them. The times where I can remember one person where I asked them to pray for me. I knew the person fairly well. 
And the person felt a bit like an outcast. And I believe for two reasons. I needed prayer that particular day. And I felt like they, they would rise to it and be happy to pray for me. But they would also be a little bit surprised that somebody who was supposed to be a bit more of an expert would ask for their care. And people would raise those kinds of things as some of the significant turning points in their life. That seems to be the way that the spirit works. Expertise and wisdom, I think, is an important thing, but we so often see the ordinary ways we care for people that seems to be most influential. Well, and that's just squarely in the middle of those concentric circles, isn't it? Like, you know, brothers and sisters caring for one another. And, and in that moment, the professional to client relationship is really not the driving factor. Yep. Yep. Ed, what would you tell somebody who is looking for a counselor? How, so at Anchored Hope, we have a very rigorous hiring process. I tell people all the time, we're looking for the right people and they all have different kinds of certifications and licensure. And we're looking for character and experience and wisdom and academics. There's, there's a grid, right? But as someone who is trying to, to seek out a counselor, what would you say are some major things for someone to look for as they're trying to choose a counselor? Mm, you're, you're identifying a person who is a, a very careful thinker about these things. And I suspect there are plenty of people like that. My experience is that all somebody's looking for is a friend who can give them a recommendation. Do you know somebody that I could speak to? Because frankly, I find it's harder for people to find counselors these days. Since COVID, most counselors are really very busy. And so the way you find a counselor is you, this just happened to me Sunday. Ed, I know you can't see me, but could you recommend somebody to me? Just give me a recommendation. I don't care who the person is. You give me a recommendation. I'll trust you with the recommendation. Did you tell them to go to Anchored Hope? (laughs) Enough. That's a great question. I didn't have any answers for them until right now. So, uh-huh. uh, so I, I will send you a, a stack of business cards. It'll be just fine. <laughs> no, you don't. I know where you are and I know how to contact you. That's a great suggestion. So where was I going? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. No, I, I stopped on that because I thought I just wrote it down. I'm going to talk to this person about anchor hooks. So <laughs> next time I see him on Sunday. They were asking you where to go. They said you, they knew you couldn't see them. Where should right. I go? So, yeah, yeah. So you can see I, the questions I get, they don't tend to be, you know, well, it's a counselor like this. Is a counselor like this. Does a person believe this? Right. And just say, just tell me, give me somebody, give me a name that you can recommend. And that's what I find more often. If I were the one looking for a counselor, now it's hard for me to do that because I know so many really good counselors. Mm-hmm. But if I try to embody a person who was asking me in the church, what kind of questions would I ask? Well, I might ask this, is it a person who would pray for me? Is it a person who would pray for me? That's, it's it's one little thing, but it communicates a lot. It communicates that they're not a kind of objective, distant professional. It communicates that they have a pastoral bent to, to their care. Pastoral meaning that they truly care, but they care about matters of the heart. They care about us before the Lord as being, as being most fundamental to our lives. So if I would ask one question, it might be that who on your staff prays with people. That's, <laughs> I could ask a lot of other questions after that. That would be my quick one. I think. Yeah. I love that. I tell pastors as we're talking about our counselors and who our counselors are, because they should know who they're referring to, obviously, that if I would not put my kids in front of them, then we won't hire them. So by the time they're on our staff, I will put them in front of a computer with my 12-year-old in front of them and be excited for both of them, right? And so that standard of, but I, I love the insertion of, will they pray for you? Because as a mom, that's exactly what I would want for, right, right. for mm-hmm. someone meeting with my kid. The people that I care about most on the planet, will they be prayed for? Will they be cared for in that way? So I think that's a beautiful question to ask. It really is. It's inviting the number one counselor into the room, right? It's inviting the spirit to guide the process. And it's an acknowledgement. Like he is the counselor who's going to guide this. And so I love that question. It's, it seems simple first, and, but there's so much behind it that says a lot about that person's character and also where they place their faith for transformation 
kudos for helping. I know a pastor fairly well who he's a character. He's got unusual strengths, unusual weaknesses, and he's rough around the edges. And the weaknesses and the rough around the edges, I couldn't care less about because I know he prays. I know he prays every single day for the people in this church. And I think, okay, what more could I ask for? I mean, to see that and appreciate it, that you know, all the rough edges, they, they all of a sudden they become irrelevant. As we close our time here, one question that I'm just more personally curious about than anything, Ed, is where do you see biblical counseling moving? Do you see a lack in any particular places or needs at any particular places that you think need to be filled? Yeah, biblical counseling, there's no question. It's here to stay. There, there absolutely is no question about that. People who have, who have experience and time to be able to give to another, that category is here to stay for the, is the, for the foreseeable future. So that's clear. It's also clear, I think, the pastors would prefer someone who could be an adjunct on their pastoral staff. They, pref they prefer somebody who is in sync with the public ministry of the word within their church. So people are going to be looking for biblical counselors. That's go only going to increase. How do we want to grow as biblical counselors? That's, I would say a couple things. One we've already hit on a bit. How can we love people enough to know them in a way they feel known? That's, I think that has been a bit of a weakness in the biblical counseling mm -hmm. movement because we have a lot of things to say in scripture and we can gloss over that it's a double task, knowing the person and knowing scripture and bringing the two of them together. So how can we know the person? You can hear how well you have to know the person. Well, I've been knowing my wife for decades and I, and I can't say each day I learned something more, but every couple of days I learned something more. So, so things accumulate, which is, which is part of the joy of being in a closer relationship. I, but you don't have to know everything about a person for the person to feel known in a way that is good for their soul. So I, I do believe that's people who, who are not Christians sometimes can leave us feeling understood better than a Christian. And there's no reason for that. They don't have any particular skills that would make them better at it. So I think that's one thing we always want to be growing up, that the, the person we're speaking to, they feel known. And this isn't a overtly biblical observation, but I think it's a common one. If you feel known by someone, you will listen to them, sort of follow where they're going. You will trust that person more. And I can say that personally. If a person is speaking into my life, if they're just sort of slapping some scripture on my life, I frankly, I typically will not listen to them. But if I feel known by that person and then the person speaks into my life with things that might be, might be challenging to me or might be sort of mystifying to me why the person would choose that, I will take it much more seriously. So I think we can grow certainly in, in knowing people in a way that they feel known. The second is how can we bring scripture? in a way that it, that it is not a system of laws and proverbs that teach us how to live, but it's this, it's this intensely personal world of the God. First Peter 3.18 has been increasingly precious to me. Christ died for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, for this purpose, to bring us to God, to bring us close. For us to know that's what the gospel has done. It's not merely forgiveness of sins. It's not merely power to be able to follow Christ. It's being brought into Christ. It's being brought close into Jesus, even into the Trinity itself. For us to be able to communicate sort of this relational center, if you will, to the gospel in such a way that we can speak of what Christ has done in a way that is just so attractive and beautiful and compelling. That's what we always need to grow in. In a, in a compelling, it's that compelling piece, right? There, we have so much truth, but to make it, wrap it in love first, like what you're saying, and then second, make it compelling. Uh, the, 
The nice part about that is that we have opportunities to grow in it every single day. Is because that's our that's our desire for the scripture, for the words of Christ, for the gospel of Christ, the person of Christ to be increasingly beautiful and compelling in our own hearts. As we grow in that, then of course we're going to be able to offer that to others in the ways that will be good for them as well. So those are the well, we can identify lots of ways that biblical counseling can grow, but those are the first two that come to mind. Knowing people really well, and I guess knowing Christ really, really well too. The new edition of When People Are Big and God is Small is out. So I want to make sure people know that, and you did some work on that to change some things. And so we will all be eager to get our hands on that. Yeah, you can teach an old dog new tricks. That was, yeah. I, mean, I wrote it 25, 25, 30 years ago and and it needed to be revised. That's actually very encouraging to me. One of the things that terrifies me about publishing is that then it would it will be in print and forever known that I've said it. And so then what do you do when you decide <laughs> it needs to be changed? Well, you just get a little embarrassed when you see people who've, who've read it and... <laughs> <laughs> and maybe have an opportunity to do a second edition eventually. Real quickly, I'll mention two other books that I think go well with, with our topic for today. Side by Side and Caring for One Another, two other books that I think flesh out a lot of the things we've been talking about well today. Any other resources you would recommend, Ed? No, Anchored Hope, the resource I'm thinking right now, <laughs> I'm looking forward to recommending somebody. And I'm going to go back to our counselors and try to beef up our guidelines for bringing advocates. So, so I can, great. I can, I can speak about those things, but that's, that's what's on my mind presently. I suspect there are other books I could recommend, but I'm, I can't think of them now. We'll let you recommend us. That's totally, <laughs> we're totally fine with that. We'll take it. Well, thank you, Ed, for being here and for sharing all of your counseling wisdom. And we absolutely appreciate you. It's great to be with you. I was looking forward to the time together. You've been listening to This Versus That, a podcast of Anchored Hope Virtual Counseling. To learn more about this episode or our ministry at Anchored Hope, visit anchoredhope.co. We believe God has an important role for you and the church to play in the Great Commission. Don't know what the Great Commission is? That's all right. The Missions Course is a six-week online study that reveals God's heart for the nations and invites you to play your part in it. We've designed this course to tuck nicely in between classes, while you're making dinner, or on your daily commute. Missions isn't just for them, it's for you too. Use the code ANCHOREDHOPE to take $10 off your registration. Visit themissionscourse.com to learn more and register today.